It's only entertainment. Welcome back to the Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Welcome to the Green Rush, the business of cannabis. It's a, with Green Rush is a two-hour weekly live cannabis business talk show produced by Pro Cannabis Media every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard. This show discusses news in the cannabis market and each week conducts a deeper dive into specific topics of the industry. Today, substitute hosts are myself, Rick Thompson, and Josh Kincaid. Josh, welcome. Thanks, Rick. We have some fantastic guests joining us in studio or uh, joining us on camera today, including Morgan Fox, who's already on the broadcast. Morgan, welcome. Thanks for having me. You know, Morgan, you are currently political director for Normal, but you have held many different offices in this particular industry. Can you explain some of your history since starting in advocacy here? I mean, uh, how I really got into this was uh, because of getting busted for cannabis. And, uh, you know, while that would be, you know, annoying enough as it was, and, you know, dealing with all the collateral consequences of that, like not being able to get student loans, having it affect uh, mm -hmm. my, you know, housing and employment issues. Uh, the thing that really struck out to me was uh, when I was in court, dudes that did not look like me were getting much harsher sentences for the exact same things that I was getting busted for. And I just, it, it, uh, it didn't, it rubbed me the wrong way. And so I started getting uh, more involved in, uh, you know, the issue. And when I got out of college, I got an internship at Marijuana Policy Project that turned into a, uh, a full-time job that uh, I kept for the next 10 years. And then uh, after uh, MPP, I moved on to National Cannabis Industry Association for about four years, got a little taste of the industry life. And then uh, just uh, this January, moved over to uh, normal. And uh, honestly, it's been, uh, it's been a trip. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I've traditionally been involved in communications. And so that's, uh, you know, a lot of, it, you know, it's still very much involved in uh, the, uh, like figuring out policy strategy and things like that. I mean, uh, it's, it's all like part and parcel, uh, but um, working at normal, I've had a chance to uh, really get into the nitty gritty of uh, like federal lobbying and uh, man, it is wild. You know, Josh, could you tell us a little about your background in advocacy and cannabis as it relates to our show today? Uh, you know, my advocacy is um, just, just myself standing on, on a pedestal. I really kind of haven't really come at it from an advocate's standpoint, but for me, I'm a broken individual. I was an athlete. I thought in high school, people that smoke pot were lazy stoners. They must've been doing Indica all day. I don't know. But when I got to college and realized that, okay, the pharmaceuticals that they're now giving me because I broke my shoulder and lost my scholarship kind of changed my mindset from this driven athlete to this more holistic approach. I didn't want to take these painkillers that were going to make me just phase out and not be able to pay attention in college. I found cannabis at a very liberal uh, university next to the Canadian border here in, in Washington state and started using cannabis and just found it naturally. So I was more or less running away from big pharma. That's how I found cannabis, uh, not really trying to get high or, or any other, anything else. It was just an alternative to pharmaceuticals. And so in high school, it was all about the 
um, you know, the dumb jock and all of the stereotypes with that. And then in college, it was the stoner stereotype. I've been fighting stereotypes nonstop my whole life. And I've just kind of been this person to self advocate. And so I just push and push on social media and I drive it down people's throats to the point where folks in high school who still think cannabis is this drug are, you know, following me on social media because they're just in awe of this once athlete now turned quote unquote stoner. And they're like, what is this guy doing? And so they're just, they're following me as I kind of stand on this, this pedestal to kind of keep pushing this thing. Like there's a lot of rhetoric, there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of BS out there where it's not this lazy drug that people are using, but more of a holistic approach that as someone who uses it every day, all day long, I can still have in this interaction and conversation with people as I work in finance for my, my day job, I can still do this and use cannabinoids all day long. And just to give the audience a little bit of background on myself, I'm currently the executive director of Normal of Michigan. I'm on the board of the Michigan Cannabis Caucus of the Democratic Party. I work with the Michigan Cannabis Freedom Coalition. I'm on the board of the Redemption Foundation and the John Sinclair Foundation. And I was very proud to co-host this year's Hash Bash celebration on April 2nd. But speaking of speaking of bash, let's talk about Washington, D.C., because I happen to know Morgan's broadcasting from the district. And Morgan, there looks like there's maybe a glimmer of hope for some legislation to come out positively during this particular session regarding cannabis, maybe? There absolutely is. Uh, it's going to be a little bit tricky, but I think uh, it, let's start with the low-hanging fruit. Uh, so the Senate, uh, despite the fact that uh, Senator Schumer uh, has been kind of holding back any other uh, incremental legislation uh, until he introduces uh, the uh, Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act officially, uh, let a, uh, a research bill slide through that uh, was uh, sponsored by uh, Senator Feinstein. And uh, that one passed with uh, unanimous consent after like 30 seconds of debate, which I mean, it's pretty amazing. Unfortunately, this bill doesn't nearly go as far as the House passed bill that passed uh, a few days uh, after that, uh, that was sponsored by uh, Representative Blumenauer uh, primarily, uh, that actually allows researchers to be able to access products that are available in regulated cannabis markets in the states. Uh, the Senate version does not allow for this. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we all know that uh, the, uh, the research quality uh, cannabis that is coming out of uh, or that is provided to federally approved researchers is garbage. And, is, you know, half the time it's moldy. It's got like 2.3% THC. And there's uh, it, it does not uh, like relate to what consumers are actually putting in their bodies. And so it would be much, much better for the House passed version of this bill to be able to succeed in reconciliation. Um, we're going to be working very heavily with members of the conference committee on that particular bill to make sure that the House version is the one that finally passes, or at least something closer to it, um, because the uh, the Senate version is really kind of useless. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a step in the right direction, and it's I think indicative of a changing mindset in the Senate that it passed with uh, unanimous consent after so little debate. But researchers need to be able to access what people are actually consuming. Mm -hmm. And so if, if we can't get uh, something along those lines, uh, we're really not making that much forward progress. Um, but you know, politically, 
it's good that these passed like very quickly and uh, and unanimously. And it also just happened to be around the time when uh, the House passed the Moore Act for the second time. So what's the Senate's likelihood of passing the Moore Act? And I'd also like to say how disappointing it is that after a couple of years ago, when we got news that the University of Mississippi was no longer going to be the sole provider of cannabis for research in the United States of America, that that promise really remains unfulfilled, Morgan. Isn't that correct to say that? Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there have been a, a few uh, dispensations laid out by uh, DEA, uh, DEA and uh, NIH in order to study cannabis and to produce it, but it's been a really slow process. I mean, people that have been banging their heads against uh, this, uh, this bureaucracy for years uh, are still waiting after, you know, in 2016, they said that they were going to start allowing for more licenses and uh, for more allowances for uh, production as well as for research. And we've just seen a trickle come through. Um, in terms of the Moore Act, um, so it after it was passed by the House, which was amazing, and I think that the uh, uh, you know the fact that it was uh, pushed forward by uh, House leadership uh, with a lot of work from um, Speaker Pelosi and uh, from uh, the House Majority Leader uh, Steny Hoyer and Barbara Lee and uh, Earl Blumenauer and uh, a lot of other uh, people that were really stumping to get this uh, across the finish line and to get a, an early vote. Um, you know, where it, in terms of where it's gonna be in the Senate, um, it has uh, landed in the uh, House Financial uh, uh, or the Senate uh, Finance Committee and Senator Wyden is the chair of that committee and he's also the uh, one of the co-sponsors of the CAOA, which has yet to be introduced. So um, Senate leadership is intent on seeing uh, the Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act be the bill that moves. Um, it took a lot of language from the Moore Act, which I think is great, um, but nobody has seen what the revised version looks like. And just recently they announced that uh, they're not going to introduce it uh, officially in April as was planned because they're getting a lot of feedback from committee leads. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, we can't really have substantive conversations in the Senate uh, about cannabis policy reform until we actually have a bill that we can talk about. And I mean, there are incremental bills that we can easily talk about, but Senate leadership does not want to talk about those bills until they introduce their baby bill you know morgan we're running out of 2022 you know every every month that they decide not to introduce something it especially in a year when there are so many crucial elections in states across the united states of america this is an issue that can get pushed under the rug josh i know our time with morgan here we're, we're coming up on our 420 break i wanted to give you an opportunity to to get in and talk to your friend morgan well, but before we uh, we get into that, uh, just one thing that I think is super important about the uh, the recent Moore Act vote is that this is the first time that the Moore Act has been voted on before the uh, the midterm elections and not in a lame duck. So for the first time ever, we have an opportunity to see exactly where members of Congress stand on cannabis policy reform before they head to the ballot. And that is going to be really, really useful. So anybody out there that uh, is involved in electoral politics, uh, particularly in states where uh, your representatives voted against the Moore Act, uh, it's time to bring them to the task. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, before we have what I anticipate being the lamest lame duck session in history uh, after November, um, I'm curious how many anti-lobbyists are out there, Morgan, people that don't want this to happen. I mentioned last week on the show that I wasn't anticipating legalization or anything to move forward because of what just happened with Scott's. I think they have a lot more lobbyists than we do. And when you put a quarter billion dollars into New York and four locations, you probably know more than I do. Morgan, what is your opinion between that dichotomy of partisan support and everyone saying yes, and then the money and maybe lobbyists actually saying not today? Well, to tell you the truth, uh, we haven't really seen a whole lot of lobbying against um, comprehensive uh, policy reform um, from people that just don't necessarily like the way that it looks. There might be a lot of lobbying to change the, uh, the exact makeup of it. Um, but, you know, the, uh, the people that do not want cannabis to be legalized at the federal level uh, across the board, uh, folks like Project SAM, uh, you know, they might not have a lot of money, but they have a lot of deep political connections. And so it's, uh, it's dangerous to uh, write them off. Um, not only that, but I mean, you can just see from the, uh, the hearings in these bills that the messaging that these groups are, are pushing and the, uh, the, the false information about cannabis and about the effects of uh, regulated cannabis systems in the states are something that a lot of lawmakers still latch onto. I mean, we had people in uh, the Moore Act uh, hearing a couple of weeks ago still calling cannabis a gateway drug or, uh, you know, calling uh, the efforts to undo the harms caused by uh, uh, prohibition as a handout to drug dealers as opposed to restorative justice, which it really is. I mean, these talking points still click with a lot of uh, lawmakers. And so it's really up to everybody that is involved in advocacy to reach out to their lawmakers and educate them about this stuff. And, you know, advocacy organizations can only do so much. Lawmakers really need to hear from their constituents. Can I just say, kind of, it, it, I don't mean to, to say that it's lame, but it sounds really lame to call your 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 um your senators or whatever so for anyone else who feels the way i do when you hear that and you're like that's lame i'm never going to call them go to someone like normal or an uh, an alliance cannabis alliance equivalent wherever you're at and they have lobby days it's really simple sign up and participate because you will feel empowered when you do go to your capital and you do talk to whoever is within your your district they will hear you and they'll be like oh i didn't know about that or you know you, you give them your own perception or opinions you can change their behavior in the way that they vote you really can be an impact so if you hear that and you're like that's cliche that's lame do something about it like find an organization sign up go to lobby days uh because you can make an impact Josh, you're absolutely right. And uh, the only reason that lawmakers actually do anything is because they're getting heat. So if they're not getting heat from the people that are promoting our ideals and our policy uh, preferences, they're not going to do anything about it. But, you know, in the lead up to the Moore Act, we were kind of on the fence a little bit. And we thought that we might actually lose because there were a bunch of even Democratic lawmakers that were worried about the effect that it would have on their midterm elections, or they were worried about like specific issues here and there. But Normal and uh, Normal's allies in the Marijuana Justice Coalition, groups like DPA and uh, so many others, uh, put the screws to them. You know, we, we generated thousands of emails, thousands of phone calls to these offices. And that is what made them realize that this is a serious issue it made them actually look into the issue, 
start to educate themselves about it and vote the right way. Morgan, I have to take us right at that time. We're at our 420 break. Thank you so much, Morgan Fox from National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. What a wonderful 20 minutes you've given us. Appreciate it, Morgan. Thanks, buddy. Coming back with Alex, uh, Alex Alperin, editor and publisher of Weed Week. Thank you for joining us. And welcome back to the Green Rush, the business of cannabis. We're a two-hour weekly live cannabis business talk show produced by Pro Cannabis Media. You're catching us every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. We discuss news issues in the cannabis market, and we do a deep dive into specific topics of the industry. This week, I'm your host, Rick Thompson, along with Josh Kincaid. Welcome back, Josh. Thanks, Rick. We just had a great interview with Morgan Fox, who is the political director of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Uh, I'd like to thank all of our viewers on our PCM YouTube channel and also everyone watching on ProCannabisMedia.com. We're expecting Alex Halperin, who's the editor and publisher of Weed Week, to join us at any moment. Josh, uh, uh, Morgan, always a great interview, isn't he? Yeah, it's interesting too, uh, NCIA, because you always think of National Can Cannabis Institute Association as kind of being that main driver, and then yet hearing uh, where he's at with normal uh, almost kind of sounded like he was more enthralled by that aspect of uh, of lobbying and, and the progress that, that he's getting more at the local level than the national level. And I would assume maybe at the local level, it feels like things are progressing more than that slow slog that is the, the national uh, legalization movement. Well, I can tell you with the National Cannabis Industry Association, there are so many divergent members that there are a lot of voices, each one demanding that their advocacy agents, you know, move their particular issue to the front of the pile. And I know that it's it's often impossible for someone like Morgan, who's been in DC for a long time, he knows. And sometimes that's difficult to make your clients understand. So with National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, I think our clients are a lot more, let's just say, laid back. So mm -hmm. probably not pushing on Morgan quite as hard to receive advances in an industry that's very, very slow to move forward. There's so many different uh, avenues and venues and there's bias, right? Like you were mentioning, like, who, what are you going to get out of it? Whoever writes a bill has got some kind of dog year on there that's going to benefit them specifically, kind of like Ohio wanted back in the day, five, five people only, Florida, limited license state, you know, you had a $30 million or whatever. All of these initial bills are kind of laughable when you look at it uh, in terms of how unfortunate they are and how biased and opinionated and uh, tailored they are specifically to the benefit of just a very few and kind of the opposite approach we should be taking, um, decriminalizing and structuring this, um, you know, and, and talking about more about social equity. Uh, you look at New York and, and maybe that's political posturing where they want to have 50% uh, for social equity applicants, you know, and those people come in and they'll sell out to Scott's for a quarter billion dollars and whatever happens, but it feels good. And, and that's what you want is you kind of want this feel good, legalization movement uh, with social equity to happen, but the reality is it's, it's going to have uh, a lot of opinions and um, small print in there. Well, we have 50 different individual states, and I've often considered those 50 states individual crucibles of democracy where they'll develop their own individual cannabis programs. And then when we're moving forward on a federal level, we can take best practices from all of those individual states 
with social equity, we have an advantage in that each individual city that's involved in social equity has a chance to pass ordinances or to try programs that would advance social equity in their industry. The city of Detroit just authorized uh, an adult use of cannabis business ordinance, which features heavily an advantage towards social equity applicants. It's possible that could be the new state, the new national standard. We had high hopes for Chicago, but it seems like Illinois is having a little bit of trouble working their program out. And, and you very much, Josh, were right to mention New York. That has a lot of promise when it comes to social equity. But the industry itself, we need to continue to experiment until we find out what's right. It seems illogical to think that we would come up with all these answers in just two or three years when these questions seem to be so complex, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I wish that there was a little bit more diversification, you, even with a lot of the um, hospitality, marijuana lounge, cannabis cafe bills that I've, I've been viewing all of them, they're all very, very similar, unfortunately, when you kind of hope that people would take a, a more unique approach to it, it seems like Maybe, you know, uh, Colorado, and Washington, when we went legal 10 years ago, everyone just kind of copied and pasted and then had their own Petri dish experiment that they now have to work through rather than somebody coming up with a more clear, uh, transparent and easier way to make these things move faster. And, and some of them have. There's been states in the Northeast that don't have the 700 days that it took California. You know, I think it was more than, than three, three years that it took California to figure their stuff out. But they are coming at it quicker. Uh, I just wish that there was, um, I, I wish that was written more for the everyday person, just like a regular LLC. Once you put in these kind of limited licenses, if it was just opening up a regular business, it would be a lot more competitive. If they had the SBA type, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the SBA, but if there was a social equity um, opportunity for them to get in advance quicker, that would be better. There's just too much red tape. There's too much regulation. There's too many issues right now. And I'd rather have something, you know, like the banking industry has where it's a self-regulatory organization. They have this SRO, the self-regulatory organization in the middle. They write all of the bills to make it too complex for the senators to understand it. And then therefore <laughs> it's written in their own bias. It's written for them and no one can question them because it's so complex. Their senators don't want to look stupid. House reps don't want to look dumb. And so they're like, yep, I guess that makes sense. Let's do that. And then the bankers get to run with it all day long. So why don't we set up an SRO? That's what the NACB tried to do. The National Association of Cannabis Business has tried to do that. They kind of got out of that for some reason. The NCIA won't lobby hard enough and normal's too, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. We need something. And I believe an SRO could be that entity that could get us there because I see it work with banks. Why can't we do it with cannabis? Yeah, normal's more of a consumer organization. Those others that you mentioned mm -hmm. are more business-based trade associations. And that's really perhaps what we need is, is to have the the industry matured to the point where our trade associations compete on an equal level with some of those in the pharmaceutical or in the automotive industries or in the in the you know natural resource industry like finding uh, mining or forestry or or oil exploration. Uh, they certainly seem to have the the lock on lobbyists. I thought it was very interesting when you asked Morgan a question about the anti cannabis lobbyists in in the Washington D.C. because we continue to hear about those forces that would like to put their their knee on the neck of the cannabis industry, including the alcohol industry and big pharma, and even sometimes the insurance industry as well. Josh, you, you've heard those stories, right? 
Yeah, you know, there's there's plenty. Um, you know, there's there's uh, newspapers still, and and oil, and and pharmaceutical, and all of the tr- traditional, typical players that don't want to be in there. And what I was alluding to with the anti lobbyists was within the cannabis industry itself. I think there's plenty of MSOs who don't want legalization yet. So I don't think they want to necessarily put their knee on the neck of the industry's advancements, but they definitely want to be holding the ankles so it can't crawl forward any faster. When, when, of course, when you open up uh, state borders to interstate transfer of cannabis product itself, that really could upset a lot of individual state markets. And there are a lot of multi-state operators, those MSOs you mentioned, who really want to get their footprint established. If you look at Florida, we have one company that has 153 dispensaries in Florida. They've got a real lock on that state. And Although in Michigan, we're a free market state, and, I, and I'm happy that we are. I can see from an MSO perspective where they would like to get that kind of a dominance of the market in other states before we open up the, the floodgates, so to speak. Absolutely. That's going to keep all of their money where it's at because you're limiting the amount of new entrants. So there's a, a serious block in terms of your ability to get into New York. You don't have a quarter billion dollars? Forget about it. You don't have $25 million to get into Arizona? Get out of here. Uh, most people can't even get into Washington and it's only made hundred or 200,000 for a license. I say only, (laughs) but yet if, if there is this limitation towards interstate commerce, like if the feds deschedule it and then the more act passes and there's only a framework for interstate commerce, but not the actual legalization, those MSOs get to play for years for first mover advantages while the other schmucks, mom and pops, just get annihilated. So they're like a Larry's Handy Mart in a world of 7-Elevens. They're never going to be have the same market cap, market share, profitability, or history that these companies, uh, these corporations are going to have. Well, that also talks about the viability of social equity businesses too, who, who by definition are not being allowed to be first to market. They're actually the ones who have the, the least market opportunity. Uh, finally, social equity allows them to get licenses, but by that time, most of the good places, the good cities, the prime locations are already taken up, and now they have to struggle for market share in an industry where their competitors have had several years of of marketing and, and a name recognition advancement before these social equity companies even break ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge disadvantage for anybody to try and compete uh, any at any point in time, and you, you give first mover advantage to somebody and you know, without banking and without finance or whatever, it's, it's an uphill battle no matter what. So I think there needs to be, you know, people coming together for nonprofits or co-ops and banding together rather than trying to do it themselves. There's all this ego and individualism in, in places like Washington and Oregon, where I'm from. I'm in Seattle and, and I see it all up and down the West Coast of, of these people like this is I'm going to do this. And right now it's like you're, you're not. And it's going to be really hard if you keep trying. And so if we maybe band together and, and cooperate, there's an, there's an opportunity there. Outside of that, uh, I think you're going to kind of still see um, folks in new emerging markets doing the same thing that, that we've been doing out here on the West Coast forever, which is uh, trying to start from the ground up, uh, failing miserably at it with your inefficiencies of having 18 people on a pre-roll machine, for example, thinking that this is Cuba you know, in the 1800s rolling cigars. That inefficiency, the lack of capital, the lack of automation, the lack of opportunities, 
uh, all of this lack doesn't have to be there when we can kind of try to come together, collect our resources, have a co-op model, band together and produce something that is of substance that we want. I don't want the Budweiser equivalent. I also don't want to wait for the Phoenix to rise from the ashes. I don't want to wait for these mom and pops to produce something that I want with cultivars and quality that are consistently available. I want it now. I want that Americana. I want that Americanism and instant gratification. And we can't do that until we all come together and band together and have a co-op type um, cooperation against the, the big corporations. Uh, otherwise, they're going to continue to run. And there's there's benefits to that. They're going to bring the price down. They're going to bring uh, availability everywhere. But that's going to take a long time. And that's why I'm saying I don't I don't have the patience to wait for, uh, you know, that micro beer equivalent to to bring in, um, you know, something that everybody wants. And I think there's opportunities to bring that in now. But people need to realize that it takes cooperation in order to make that happen. Josh, thanks for that. I, I echo all your sentiments too. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out. And check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.